0: We just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to come before you and to look at your word. We ask you to guide and lead as we learn from your word, and we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Psalm 94. O Lord, to whom vengeance belongs, O God, to whom vengeance belongs, show yourself. Lift up yourself, you judge of the earth. Render reward to the proud. Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked triumph? How long shall they utter and speak hard things, and all the workers of iniquity boast themselves? They break in pieces your people, O Lord, and afflict your inheritance. They slay the widow and the stranger and murder the fatherless. Yet they say, the Lord shall not see, neither shall the God of Jacob regard it. Understand you brutish among people, and you fools, when, when, you hear, when, you, when will you be wise? He that plants the ear, shall he not hear? He that form the eye, shall he not see? He that chastise the heathen, shall he not correct? He that teaches man's knowledge, shall he not know? The Lord knows the thoughts of man, that they are vanity. Blessed is the man whom you chasten, O Lord, and teach him out of your law, that you may give him rest on the days of adversity from the pit he, until the pit be digged for the wicked. For the Lord will not cast off his people, neither will he forsake his inheritance but judgment shall return unto the righteous and all the upright in heart shall follow it. Who will rise up for me against the evildoers and who will stand up for me against the workers of iniquity? Unless the Lord had been my help, my soul had almost dwelt in silence. When I said, my foot slipped, your mercy, O Lord, held me up in the multitude of my thoughts within me, your comforts delight my soul. Shall the throne of iniquity have fellowship with you? Will which frames mischief by, by a law. They gather themselves together against the soul of the righteous and condemn the innocent blood. But the Lord is my defense and my God is the rock of my refuge. He shall bring upon them their own iniquity and shall cut them off in your own wickedness. Yea, the Lord our God shall cut them off. So we're looking at this Psalm 94. And this one you can tell is very poetic because he repeats a lot of the words. <laughs> Uh, which is very common in songs, O Lord God, to whom vengeance belongs, O Lord, O God, to whom vengeance belongs, show yourself. This is somebody that's starting out in is, as as mo- many of David's psalms did. Everything's wrong, and asking God for help because he's saying, you know, God, I, vengeance is needed. We need help. We need this this vengeance. And God, you're the one who gives vengeance. And this is, this is what we need to always remember. God is the one that uh, gives the vengeance to people, not us. And we in our flesh always want to give our vengeance. You know, we want to be the one that makes sure that somebody helps. And if we're not strong enough, we want somebody to do it for us. And all through the word it says, vengeance is God's. It's the natural thing to want to defend ourselves. It's automatic to want to defend ourselves. And this is why it's hard because we have to keep in mind, God, you're my defender, you're my you're my refuge, you're the one I hide into. All of us have made that mistake. I make it, you know, frequently too, where I just want to get after somebody because I've been hurt or get God, you know, go get them because they've hurt me. But you notice why do we want somebody to get have revenge on them is because they hurt Myself, yeah. you know, and anytime we're angry for somebody hurting me, we've got a problem to begin with. Because our, our vengeance, our desire for retribution is not because God has been hurt or the innocent have been hurt. It's because I have had my feelings hurt, my reputation hurt, whatever it might be, and I'm looking at me. God, you just let them hurt me. How can you do that? <laughs> we don't usually think it all the way through, but usually that's what we're angry about i've been hurt i've been made to look bad now the thing is god will defend us and he will protect us in his time but it also is very important and i and i heard a preacher say this just last week or the week before but i've been taught it all my life if we decide we want to defend ourselves, god won't stand up and defend us he says if you want to defend yourself be my guest But if we just back off and let God be our defense, it's amazing what will happen. We will see God do things. And to me, sometimes sometimes I almost wish I had defended myself because the people wouldn't have been hurt quite as bad as I've seen God hurt people. But God knows what needs to be done to bring that person to repentance. God knows what it takes to bring that person back to him. And I've shared with you, I know a man who used to speak against this one pastor who didn't deserve it in any way, shape, or form. And the head deacon and I went to him and said you 've got to stop this because you're you 're attacking this man for no reason, and he didn 't and we watched his watched him end up in a divorce two of two of his three kids died, then he got cancer, and it's probably dead at this point because I lost track of him, but he attacked a pastor and that pastor, just like God via his defense and God went after this man with a vengeance and i 've seen this over and over where people Have gone after God's people and you see it in the scripture they go after God's people and God puts a huge penalty on them for doing so and we look at Job and what was Job told to do for his friends he said God said you pray for them why because God was ready to strike would have been ready to strike them if Job hadn't prayed for them they probably would have suffered in a very major way but Job prayed for them and interceded for them Daniel in, in Daniel chapter 9 intercedes for the for the people. We read in the scriptures if my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray, I will deliver. And we see this over and over. Lot even though he wasn't the most righteous man was con- taken away and Abraham came in and killed, you know, Abraham with his 100 couple hundred people killed five, you know, destroyed five kings that had beat three kings before that. So we see God when he gets involved will deliver if we stand out of the way if, but he's he's one that he's if we decide we want to defend ourselves he'll say okay be my guest go ahead and defend yourself and we would be better off just backing off and this is where this at least this psalm is starting God you're the one that you're the one that gives vengeance it's yours it's yours to give but then he says in verse 2, Lift up yourself and judge the earth. Render the, a reward to the proud. So basically he's saying, God, you're not moving fast enough. Get up. Basically saying, God, uh, quit sitting and get moving. <laughs> Exalt yourself. Lift yourself up and judge the earth. Render a reward for the proud. And this word for reward uh, literally means recompense. You know, give, them, give them what they deserve. They've been proud. They've lifted themselves up against you. Go get them, God. Get off your butt, God, and go get them. <laughs> you know, but you look at that, that's exactly what he said. Lift up yourself and judge the world and give recompense. You know, lift yourself up. Rise up, God. Get, you know, get your butt out of that chair and get going, God. You're, you know, he's not quite that blunt with it, but that's really what he's saying. Rise up, God. You're not moving fast enough. Give these these proud people what they deserve. Give them their recompense. Give them their reward. It's a pretty bold statement when you really think about it, that he's out there. We see this often in the the Psalms where there's this whole idea of God, get moving, get doing something. Why are you waiting? Now, we all have said things like this to God at various points in our time. It might be crouched in, God, uh, you're allowing these people to hurt me pretty bad. What's going on? But aren't we saying, God, you're not, moving, you're not moving in my timetable fast enough? We might not be quite so bold as God, get, get your butt up and get moving, but you know, when he doesn't go quite that far. But he says, lift yourself up and ju-, you, know, you judge of the world and, and give them their rewards. You know, but oftentimes we will crouch our complaint to God. God, well, why, why, why are you waiting so long? How come you're letting them hurt me? You know, and, but what we're, and what are we really saying? you know, God, you're kind of moving slow. You're not moving in my time frame. And God never moves in our time frame. There's no time delay or hard work for him to do anything. You know, God will be our defender. He'll do it in his time. And his goal is to give people enough time to come to him before he has to start the hard things. We see this over and over, and this has been a Quran all through the Psalms. God, why do the wicked keep keep getting prosperous and you don't do anything about them and that's the question quite frequently that we've seen God you know I'm being attacked how come you haven't moved God this you know this is happening how come you're not doing what I think you should do and then there's been a lot of boldness David does it quite frequently the other psalmists seem to do it quite frequently this whole idea of God almost telling God what to do and sometimes bluntly telling God what to do but you know the graciousness of God is that he will allow us to say those things and then teach us that we were wrong to say them. And we see this in the Psalms so often, David starts on the wrong thing and then he works his way down and says, okay, God, you're, you're in control, I'm going to be patient. The wonderful thing is, God has a plan, he knows what he's doing, and he will get the right answer in the end if we just have enough patience to wait for his time. How many of us would have wanted God to have judged us because we didn't respond in the speed that some people think we should have responded on, especially those who got saved late in their life? You know, how How could God have changed His mind and really crushed us you know because we hurt some of his children in the way we did through a bad testimony, his children watching us and saying, "Wow, you know this, this person is getting something good or even something bad, not being disciplined in the way that." Others might have thought, and how come it took them so long? This is something that happens frequently. People will pray for decades for somebody to get saved. And my great-grandmother prayed for my dad to get saved. And she was so excited when he got saved you know, in his 30s that she finally went to the church. We've been praying for him for you know, for all these years, and he finally got saved. We visited them the first time he was saved. She brought him up front and said, this is my grandson. We prayed for, for 25 years or 30 years, whatever it was that they'd been praying for him. And here he is. He got saved. How many of us pray that long for anything? How many of us would be praying, God, go get them because they're they're taking too long. They're hurting all these people. God is saying, I've got a plan. I know exactly what I'm doing. If you want to go be the defender, you go be the defender. You take your vengeance, but I've got my time. And here we see this. Verse 3 says, Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked triumph? have you ever seen somebody who seems like they're not they're getting victories and they're being blessed and they're not they're not a Christian where there's no apparent thing that they're a Christian and they they do well in business it seems like they've got everything they're, they're, everything seems to be going their way and you look at them and say God how and it seems like that way it seems like that all the time but you know the the most important thing is when you're feeling that way that somebody is being blessed and you're not this may be the only blessings they're ever going to see, because if they don't change their way before they die, they're going to end up in hell. And the, and the temporal blessings that they seem to have will mean nothing. And if you really get to know these people, I mean really get to know some of these people, they are very unhappy people in most times. They may look good on the outside, they may show a happy face to people a lot of times when i think about this i think about actors and singers who seem to have everything together and see them in their when they get their shots from the paparazzi and everything and they look like they're happy they put on the right face but every once in a while you see that crack in their facade that says i'm just not happy nothing is obtainable or you get them sa- or they get saved and they really tell you what it's what it was really like i met a man in the prison who's getting ready who just got out last week and he has been a Guitar player for lots of big bands, and he told me some of the bands that he had been the player for, and he traveled the world. And he goes, "Before I came to prison, he goes, oh, I thought that stuff would make me happy, and it never made me happy. I was always, I had everything. He goes, I had money, I had houses, I had cars, I had everything. I, you know, goes, but I was never happy." And he comes to prison, finds God, and he gets, learns what happiness is all about. But it is hard, and this is what, the, this is what has been in this all along. Uh, Ecclesiastes is all about that. God blesses the, the, the good and the bad. I've uh, been reading Ecclesiastes in my devotional time, and it, he, the good and the bad both get blessed. They both get rain. They both get rewards. For Solomon, that was like, why try? But he gets to the end, of course, where he realizes it's all God, and there's an eternity involved. But it is hard sometimes when you look and say, why do the, why do the bad people seem to get benefits?" Yeah. Then it's all God's blessing. Yeah. God's not in it. Everything is empty. if we're not And this is why Jesus told us over and over, "Put our treasure in heaven where it'll be eternal treasure. Because if we're putting all our hopes on what we can get on this world, it doesn't go into the future anyway. Uh, you can make... You could be the richest person in the world, have all the, the greatest things, uh, and maybe even seem to have everything, and even be moderately happy, but you get into the eternity and it's not going to follow you. None of that wealth does any good if it hasn't been invested into the kingdom. And the good news is, is if, you in, if you had all that wealth and you invested into the kingdom, you're going to have both sides, you know, both sides of this. Unfortunately, statistics tell us that most wealthy people do not tithe even much less give more than the tithe and there are exceptions i mean there are many exceptions but on average the people who make a lot of money they may give a lot of money even but in percentage wise they're not even meeting a tithe and it says that the average rich person only gives about 3 to 4% to to the church and that's kind of a sad thing because god is saying i'm giving you this where are you putting your where are you putting your hope. You know, God, I'm giving you $30,000. I mean, I'm making, I'm making 5 million a year, but I'm only, I'm giving, I'm giving away 30,000. That's more than most people give. And God's saying, well, wh- what about the other $470,000 you to be giving? You know, so verse four, how long shall they utter and speak hard things and the workers of iniquity boast themselves? So again, he's saying, these guys are getting boastful. They're, they're proud. They're they're saying they're saying that you know they're getting away with this. And how many times do we see people who seem to think, or number one, they think they're getting away with it, and they're you know, they, they think they are, and it may even appear that they are. And, and he's saying, How long are they God, how long are you gonna let them boast about this? You know, here we are trying to do the right things, and we don't seem to be blessed, and they're doing the wrong things, and they're boasting about it and looking good. They said, Verse five, they break in pieces your people, O oh Lord, and they afflict your heritage. God, they're breaking in pieces. They're tearing things up. They're crushing your people. And you're, they're afflicting your people. They're cheating your people. They're making them look bad. And this, part, this psalm is on the right track. You know, God, your people are the ones that are being hurt. And this is where true anger can happen that is not sinful. When you're angry that somebody some innocent person is being hurt some child is being hurt some some person who can't defend themselves that's where righteous indignation and anger can can occur and I am absolutely convinced that if you're angry about something that happened to you it will never be righteous indignation because you're angry that you look bad you're angry that I I you know and, and anytime you start putting I in there if you put myself or I in, in your sa- statement and you're angry you're not being ra- angry for the right things, even if they are coming after you pretty hard. And, but we try to defend ourselves. You know, Jesus got angry at the money changers in the temple and took a whip and drove them out. And I'm sure his, I'm sure his wasn't, well, you guys need to get out of my father's house because you're turning into, you know, he came in using the whips, picking up the tables, throwing it, and was yelling at them to get out of his father's house. Now, it wasn't no calm, gentle, well, I love you guys so much, but get out of my father's house. You know, it's, you know, this was a man who was angry at that time. They were, they were re- changing the reputation of the church. He didn't say please. He definitely wasn't saying please. <laughs> but we need to be careful because if we're angry because somebody hurt me, I'm going to have a hard time keeping my hurt out of that angry. But if I'm angry that they're hurting children or, or widows or orphans that, that God's always talking about, that's a place for real anger because that is somebody that's basically defenseless that is, that's being hurt. And they need somebody to stand up for them and defend them. And that's where God will say it's good. And here he's saying, God, they're hurting your people, your heritage. They're making your people look bad. And he's saying, but you're taking an awful long time to defend them. And I've seen this over and over in my lifetime. Sometimes it seems like God takes a long time to defend, but he does it in the right time. And when he moves, just as Jesus did in the temple with the whip and the, and the throwing them out, is not gentle when he moves. When God moves, and we've all probably seen it, when he moves against some, something, it's not in a kind, loving way. He starts with the kind, loving way. He'll send the individuals to witness to them, to try to get them to get saved, to to rebuke them. He'll send a, a Nathan, as he did to David, you know, with this story you know, about the, the lamb being taken from the poor man and killed, and David getting angry and realizing, and then Nathan says, David, you're that man. At that moment, David had a choice to make. He could continue in his sin and his rebellion, in which case God would have done harsher disciplines where he could repent and we've seen through the scripture where people repent and we've seen places in the scripture where they don't repent and they and they get judged even greater look at Pharaoh on the ten plagues Pharaoh could have said yes at any point during that during that time but he kept hardening hardening his heart and he kept getting harder and he kept getting harder and toward it, it said God hardened his heart, but Pharaoh was already gear, geared toward hardening his heart anyway. And what did God finally have to do to him? He, he killed the firstborn son in every family, which meant that Pharaoh had a son that was killed at some, in, that, in that time as well. So at that point, he says, Let the people go. And then he changed his mind and ended up losing his entire army in the Red Sea. Okay, because he changed his mind again and hardened his heart. Okay. If he hadn't hardened his heart that last time, he at least would have had his army and been still strong. But this is what God does. When he gets to a certain point, then everything comes at you. But again, what is his point? Even when he starts throwing hard things at you, is to get you to come to him. And we talked about this during the Revelation class. Everything about all the plagues, the bowls, the trumpets, and the and the seals is to bring people to God. He's throwing his wrath at them because they deserve it, but his ultimate goal is to bring people to him because his desire is that none will go to hell. So he sends these plagues to say, this is my power, this is my power, quit hardening your heart. Come to me, I'm I'm waiting for you. He's got 144,000 Jewish evangelists preaching the gospel. He's got the two witnesses at the temple gate preaching the gospel he's got the angel at one point flying around the world preaching the gospel his whole goal is to draw people to him all of this in the in the time of tribulation to draw people to him go you missed you missed you missed the church gauge you missed the rapture but I want you to come to me it's going to be harder now you're going to have to you lose your life you're going to have to not take the mark of the beast and it's going to be tough But here, here's your chance, and God will do this with us. And this this appears to be slow to us as humans. Before he moves, it appears so slow. But you know, when he starts moving, things really speed up, and people better respond or they're going to get hurt. And the sad thing is, is when he starts striking these people, it's not just them that get hurt. It can be an entire family, could be the business. I saw a man who lost his business because of the way he treated the Christian. And he lost his whole business. Now his business had many stores which meant that a lot of people lost their jobs because he lost his business because he didn't didn't do things he was supposed to. Verse 6 They slay the widow and the stranger and murder the fatherless. Yet they say the Lord shall not see, neither shall the God of Jacob regard it. Going on, these people are. Uh, and this is why I'm saying he's really getting in the right in the right anger. He's getting angry that the the weak are being hurt, the the widows, the, the 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 fatherless. He says they're killing these people, and their accusation is, God doesn't see, God doesn't care, doesn't regard it. Have you ever heard somebody say that? Well, there's no God out there anyway, so it really doesn't matter what I do. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get punished because of God's kindness to them to not kill them instantly the moment they sin they take it and they say that he doesn't act at all and this happens in the world all the time but sometimes even as Christians we can get into that mindset a little bit well I got away with it maybe I can continue to get away with it and that's why sometimes we will slip off and and backslide because we do something we don't instantly get a punishment for it And The second time we do it we don't get instantly get a punishment for it and the next thing you know We just keep doing it because there hasn't been from our mindset any kind of Retaliation or sowing and reaping from it and this is what the the, these people are saying God doesn't see it And then there's a understand ye, brutish among the people and you fools when will you be wise? understand you brutish and this literally means animalistic. A, a brute really is somebody who acts stupid and acts like an animal. And so he says, "Understand, you, you brutish, stupid animals among your people. You, f- when and you fools, when will you be wise? Mm-hmm. Well, fools is simpleton, dullard, stupid, senseless. You know, they're not wise. They're they're not applying God's word to their life." because the fool has said in his heart there is no God so therefore he doesn't apply God's word to his life so it's a roundabout thing and we need to be very careful that we're not fools at any time not applying God's word to our life but God you know, how many times do we maybe in ourselves or whether we meet Christians who don't seem to know God's word and yet they'll claim to be a Christian and they don't apply God's word to any part of their life and I've met them over and over again where they'll say well I know that's what the Bible says but I know better or I don't think it's going to work in my life. And I've seen it over and over where somebody gets unequally yoked and they get married to a non-Christian and then they and then they look back and say, boy, don't I wish I had obeyed God as they look back over their life and they see the struggles that are involved in it. They get into business and they start working seven days a week, long days, and then they realize that they haven't rested ever and then they wonder. They get to where they think was what they wanted, and they realize they sacrificed everything that God said was important. They sacrificed their family, they sacrificed their life with God, and they get to where they think they may wanted everything, and they find out that all the money and title and position wasn't worth everything that they sacrificed. And we see this over and over again out there that God says, My ways are right. You know, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Uh, um, trust, in trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not into your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. How many times do we trust in our own ways? You know, God, uh, it sounds like you might not know what you're talking about. But I'm going to do things my way. Uh, and God's saying, well, Good luck. Good luck, You'll, you, will, you will regret it in the end. And the same thing with the lost world. Even though they don't know God's ways, when they violate God's ways, they will regret it. And there are some lost people who, who have gone to the idea that they need to give money away. And they give their money away, and you know what? God still blesses them, even though they're not Christians, even though they're not doing it, and they give their money away, God will bless them, because it is a truth that he's put out there. When money is not your God, and you are generous with it, you reap returns. It is a law of sowing and reaping. You give away, it comes back. And it's not just an idea that you have to give God this money. It is blessed anyway. And Christians sometimes will go, God, I just don't trust you enough to tithe. I've heard it over and over and over again. I just, I just don't believe. I, don't, I can't get by with this. Bear, you know, I'm barely making it by with the money I've got. And I'm going, well, God says to tithe and test them a and Testament see, And it's an amazing thing when you tithe that you get back. He gives it back. And it's an amazing fact. It's worked out all my life that we've tithed. We keep, you know, we're well above the tithe. And we, God keeps giving back, giving back. He meets the needs. And then, then I love this where he goes in, He that planteth the ear, shall he not hear? He that formed the eye, shall he not see? He that chastised the heathen, shall he not correct? He that teaches man knowledge, shall he not know? You know these guys are saying the God of Israel just isn't going to care. He's not going to, and he's going, the man who created hearing, the God who created hearing, you don't think he hears? The God that gave us sight through the eye, you don't think he sees? When we think about this, God doesn't have an ear, he doesn't have an eye, but he created both so he created it so that we could do things that he can do. If he allows us to hear, he must be able to hear. Even though he doesn't have an ear that we know of, he hears. Even though he doesn't have a physical eye, he sees. He teaches knowledge, he corrects people. He is active in our world. This is very important for us to understand. Most of our founding fathers in this country were called deists, which meant that they believed that God started the world and then kind of just backed off and didn't do anything. Now, not all of them were deists, but a lot of them were. They believed in God. They believed that God created the world. And then they believed he just sat down in his chair and watched it. But he does hear, and he does see, and he does speak. In some way, he's interacting what we understand as the senses. Now, how? I don't know. Does he have an ear? I, I, I mean, maybe I'm wrong in that, but I just don't see him having... I don't see this man sitting on a throne with ears and arms and legs and, and a mouth and all of this. I have those. You've got those verses, but is that who God is? Or is that how he chose to show himself? But the Father, he is spirit just as the Holy Spirit is spirit. They hear, they see, they talk, they, they interact, but they are spirit can they have the can they have a body if they wanted to for periods of time of course they're god so they could they could show up in a bodily form but they are spirit this gets you into a very strange thing because they're they are god can do whatever he wants so if he wants to show up you know when we go to heaven if they want to have all three of them show up in a, some kind of bodily form they can all three of them show up in a bodily form because that's who and what he is. But we want to be careful because there is there's actually a preacher who preached a message one time because it said that God holds the universe in the span of his hand. And because he figured the span of the hand and the size of God, he actually calculated all the all the size of how big God had to be and how big his feet had to be and how tall he had to be because of this calculation of, of the holding the world in his hand. And he actually preached an entire sermon on this and it went... It went crazy way back when it did because everybody's going like, this guy actually believes that God is bipedal body form, you know, form, and he took it all from that one scripture that God holds the world in the palm of His hand. So he did great, made this great big, you know, and taking the, the figurative poetic language and said, okay, if the world is this big and that it fits in the palm, then this is how big God is. We cannot see God for the one big reason is He doesn't isn't visible in our dimension. We cannot understand. Is is there a possibility that God has some kind of bi- bipedal body in the in some other dimension? I don't know. I'm not. He doesn't tell us enough about what he looks like. He Moses saw something that God called the backside of God, which was darkened glory. Okay. Do we have a handwriting on the wall? Which was it? Literally the hand of God, or just some form that he's saying I'm drawing on the wall with something that looks like a hand? So that you'll know have some kind of reference for it. God spoke to the children of Israel from Mount Sinai in a voice that they heard. Did it come from a throat with a voice box that forced air out of the lungs through the voice box to make sound? I don't think so. It was a noise that people heard and a loud noise that they heard that seemed to come from the mountain. It could have just as easily have been God vibrating the eardrums of every individual at the same time. The day of Pentecost when the disciples spoke You want to be careful when you hear that because people will say they were speaking in tongues and what the word says is that everybody heard their own language. What did God do? Did God change what they spoke or did he change what they heard? I believe that he changed what they heard because each person heard their own language. And I don't know, and it doesn't say that 50 or so languages, God changed the hearing of the people, not what was spoken. Limiting God to some form... He talks all the time about the appearance of a man, but most of it is that he's trying to make it so that we can understand. Yes, there's this great big thing, and and God is so beyond us that we can't comprehend him. And yet he tries to use language to help us understand who he is and and how much he loves us and how much he cares for us. So he uses a lot of language that says, you know, I want to wrap you in my arms. Well, I don't know what that means for God to because I don't know that he has arms, but he wants to lo- wrap us up in whatever oh, it is. Yeah. We definitely would feel his presence. We would feel something about him. And I, and I feel at times that I have been wrapped up in God's presence when I've been worshiping. Because I feel his presence so envelop me that it's, wow, God, I'm, I'm there. And I've had those times at, at various times in my life when in worshiping, when in, involved in the, in, in the worship of God where I just feel... I have entered into heaven for just a couple minutes—not literally entered into heaven, but the peace, the joy, the love felt that I am in God's presence so much that heaven has dropped down. You know, uh, what's that song? Uh, heaven came down and glory filled my soul. You know, uh, and it's a wonderful feeling when you get to that place, when you experience that, when you're in prayer and you just know you're in the presence of God and and there's that moment, that couple of seconds, moments, whatever it might be, where you just know that I'm in God's presence. And then you start really understanding just a little taste of what heaven's going to be like. What a, what a little taste it'll be when you're in God's presence and you are just at total peace And heaven. I've told people, as far as I'm concerned, heaven is wherever God is. Mm-hmm. I don't care if it's on this earth. I don't care if it's on the next galaxy it doesn't matter to me where God says heaven is it because if he's there it's heaven and if the times I've been in his presence through worship and and teaching and in his word are even just the smallest taste I'll be happy with just the small taste of it I've had just the small taste is so wonderful because he is there he is present and we're ready to worship him in his because he's right there with us how does all this work we don't know because we're not in that dimension but once we get to that dimension that he's in it'll make sense to us there's some form yet does God have some form of body obviously he's in a dimension where spirits has some form and and we will see because we're gonna spend eternity being able to see him now what does that mean when we see him I have no idea what will that body look like? I don't know what that body will look like. I, you, know, you get these artists picturing, you know, he's got two legs and arms, and you get his shining face that doesn't show you a face. All so you see is shining. You know, who knows what it's looking like? I don't know. I think that's a little fanciful. But then again, I have no imagination, and I've told people that. I don't, I don't, I don't imagine things real well. It's like, God, show me what you want me to know, and I will, I will believe it. But I'm not one to come up with, you know. That's why I don't think about heaven very often. Because to me, it's beyond anything I can imagine or comprehend. And even those who have an imagination, it's beyond whatever they can imagine. But I I do say, you know, I feel that I have been in His presence. I have had those glimpses and tastes of what heaven will be like. Not that I've seen heaven. I've just felt what heaven is going to be so much more than. But I mean, just the the, the taste I've had of it is just amazing. Okay, I can't imagine being like Paul and having spent time in the heaven of heavens and seeing whatever it was he saw. All that God does, he says, I am. And we don't know all anything about what it means about what he is. We don't have any clue. I mean, we can't even picture the Trinity in and of itself, and yet that is who God is, and we'll see it when we get there. And we know that there's two portions of the Trinity that are basically spirit in our in our realm, and that's the Father and the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and we've got Jesus who took a body, and we've seen him all through scriptures. Okay, he was the one that walked with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. He was the one that that would have talked with Abraham and took accepted the worship as he's, he's telling Abraham about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah coming. He would have been the one that that uh, talked with Joshua and said you know and when Joshua worshiped him he is the he was the fourth man in the fire with with uh, Shadrach Meshach and Abednego probably spent the night with Daniel in the lion's den even though we don't have anything showing us he would he would have been the one that was there comforting Daniel and and having the angel shut the the mouths of the lion he is the one you know all through scripture he is the one that is seen in the bodily form yeah, so we want to be able to say what does God look like we have no idea, but he's going to look we're, We'll recognize him when we see him mm-hmm. Just as we will recognize each other in heaven because I've talked with people and going, You know the amazing thing about when we get to heaven is that we're going to know one another How amazing is that I've traveled so around? Where do you where have you ever read a verse that says we'll forget everything We're a new creation, but that starts right now. We are a new creation right now. He will wipe the tears from our eyes, and there will be no sorrow in heaven. And, And I've heard many messages that will say, not that we will forget the sorrowful things, but we will understand why they were important, why they were useful to God, and they will no longer be sad. When we see that people have gone to hell, we'll see it from God's perspective that, hey, they had 900 chances they they got what they asked for and there and God will take that sorrow away from us because they they've got what they wanted uh, but we will know each other in heaven because you know as as a, a Greg great glory says we will we'll be dumber in heaven than we are now <laughs> you know when he's asked when he's asked will we know each other in heaven he goes are you gonna, you think you're going to be dumber in heaven than you are right now we will know each other in heaven and there will and we, we will beyond that we will know I think, and what it very clearly seems to say, we'll know everybody in heaven. When Peter, John, and uh, James went up on the on the Mount of Transfiguration, they recognized Moses and Elijah. Okay, how did they recognize them? You know, you think they had pictures of them in their house? Absolutely not. As a Jew, they would not have had a picture of those guys in their house. But God, when they were standing there, their spirit knew here is Moses, here is Elijah. When we go to heaven, we will know individuals because we will know and be known as we really are. And the point I was bringing out, I've moved all my life. Okay, you all know me as this 50 year old, there's people who know me as a 20 year old. There's a couple people who have known me longer than that, know me through all the span, like Lynn and my family. But there's not a whole lot of people who know me at each of these ages. Mm-hmm. When I go to heaven, how will they know me? They'll know me because of who I really am in my spirit. I want to know the people in the Bible. And we're going to get to know them. Uh, because we're going to have eternity to get to really know these people. We're going to know who they are. Can you imagine? One of my favorite things to do is to hear people's testimony How did you get saved? How is God how has God helped you through your walk? I love reading the biographies of these different, these, the different uh, missionaries and, and stories. I, I enjoyed reading Annie's favorite book, not quite as much as she does The Hiding Place about Corrie Ten Boom. I enjoyed reading The Cross and the Switchblade, which was, which was uh, David Wilkerson and, and Nikki Cruz. I, I've enjoyed reading all these different biographies. You know what I'm looking forward to going in heaven? just talking to people and finding out how did God bring you to him. How, how did God, and especially from that side of the world of things, when we know exactly why it happened. I love the stories of missionaries who've had miraculous things happen in their life and see them. I will love to talk to some of the people in the Bible and say, you know, I want to know the rest of the story that wasn't recorded. You know, yes. What happened afterwards? How did God do this? How did God even bring you to this place where you had this much faith? You know, be able to talk to them and really get to know their stories. But you know what? They're going to want to hear our stories as well. You now, Think about this. We want to know their story, but I can guarantee they want to know our story because Abraham looked forward to Jesus. He's going to want to know what was it like to actually come to him and have him living in you? What was it like to have him deliver you? What was it like when this happened in your life? I believe they're going to want to know our story just as much as we want to know their story because all the stories are God's. Every story that we have is really God's story. What has he done in our life because we can't do anything in our own strength. It's all God. God set up what happens. He put all the pieces in place to lead us to where he wants us to be. He gave us the ability to witness to the people that we're going to witness to. He gave us the ability to stand strong in certain situations, and He gave us the grace and the mercy to do so. He helped us develop the skills to get there. Think about your life and all the things. Where you are today is so much further advanced than where you were 10 years ago, no matter who you are. And all the steps that God did to bring you there, all the steps that brought you to where you are today. Even all the failures that helped develop you, how many times are those failures very important in your life when you look back and you say, I failed. God did this for me. Because I failed, he did this. Or he taught me this because I failed. And then later on, because of that failure, I was able to minister to somebody that I never expected to be able to minister to, because my hurt allowed me to be able to minister to them this is the thing about our life nothing is wasted in our life all those times we look back and say all these mistakes I made all the all the all the stuff that I did now would life have been better without the mistakes Mm -hmm. maybe Mm -hmm. in one sense yes but in another sense if you had never made a mistake would you have empathy for the person who did who made those mistakes Would you have been able to talk to the people or would you have judged them and said, well, I don't know what you're having a problem for. It was easy. I just walked right through it. And this is what I've shared with people. Sometimes in my lifetime, I have wished that I had had instant changes in my life and I had just become a real spiritual giant like I've seen some people happen in their life. But I've also watched some of those people, when adversity finally hits them, they struggle because they're used to God instantly changing things. They also have no empathy for people who took a long, take a long time to get over that. They're going, well, what's wrong with you? It was easy. You just turn it over to God. And you know. So God has worked with each one of us to bring us to where we are in spite of the bad things that have happened to us. And yes, in one sense, if they hadn't happened and we hadn't fallen, we would have had some better, some better things, but it would, we wouldn't be who we are. We wouldn't be the person we are today if the things that happened to us in the past did not happen. People I've heard say, well, if I could go back and change things, you know what? I don't know that I want to change anything that's ever happened to me. Things have hurt, I've been hurt by a few things. But do I want to go back and change those hurts? I've looked at how God has used those hurts to minister to people, and I'm not sure that I want to change anything that has ever happened to me. Now I've talked to people. I've talked to the people that have these great, you know, deliverance stories. I got delivered from 50 years of alcohol and drugs, and you know, most of them, if they have, would love to go back and change that and not have to go down that path, but again, they wouldn't be who they are. They wouldn't be reaching a certain group of people that need them to reach out to them. They understand them, I, and I've shared with you all. I've been amazed when Steve comes in to share with the alcohol and drugs, you know, with the Celebrate Recovery. I've talked with him. I've listened to him. He says nothing different than I would say. But because I've never been there, nobody will listen to me. You know, Well, you just don't know what it's like to be there. And they're right. I don't know what it's like to be there, but I do know what it's like to be in other places that are just as bad. But everybody is always geared to think, and we all do it, if you haven't been exactly where I am or have been, you just don't understand and you can't, can't help, even though sin is sin. Even though the answer for sin is the same answer, turn it over to God. Okay? But that is an answer most people don't want to hear. They don't want to hear how simple it is and how similar everything is. And that's why I love the book of Ecclesiastes. There's nothing new under the sun. Or as you said, Sharon, they'll... You read the Bible and it's like it's re-written in today. You take some of the old language out and you're going, it's the same thing. Everything is the same. And it really is. Sin is still sin. Satan still attacks with the same with the same attacks, the same the same justifications, the same you you could be God if you just do these things or you could be as good as God or you you are smarter than everybody else, you'll never fall for these things. You, all the all the same, all the same sins that, God, that Satan projects to all of us over and over again, and the sad thing is, we keep falling for the same things over and over too. He just changes the sin in it, and we fall for the same thing. Being stuck out there, here's your piece of fruit. Do you want it? Yeah. <laughs> you know, sure, I want that piece of fruit. <laughs> you know, and then later on, it's here's your piece of fruit, a different different temptation, but it's the same you know same fruit. You know, <laughs> and we grab it again. We keep making the same thing over and over and there's nothing new. And Satan is not a creator, he just keeps doing the same thing and he just changes the words a little bit. We see the same thing in all these different religions. If you look at all the religions, they're pretty much the same religion, he just changes a few things and when one gets old, he brings another new one out that's very similar to, this, to, the, to what is already out there and he just changes the words and stuff about it. And he keeps throwing out the same, the same bait and we crazy humans keep snapping at the same bait just like just like the fisherman throws out the bait in the bait in the water and catches a fish he throws the bait back out and catches another fish we're just as dumb as the fish we keep striking at the same bait and so we want to be very careful on all of this we want to be able to say God you are marvelous you are wonderful I love you so much and I want you to deliver me I want you to give me wisdom to see through this stuff because even though we've taken a lot of the same bait and everything, think about the vic- victories in your life at times, too. How many times have you grown victorious over time, especially as we get to know God? And you know, one of the funniest things is when you see the bait, for the, the test for what it is, and you kind of go, wow, how could I have ever fallen for that, especially when you know you have fallen for it? It's like, it's like a magician watching, a, watching another magician, and they know exactly how the trick is done, and they just smile because they go, okay, I know exactly what they're going to do and how they're going to do it. They see through it. And eventually, when we follow God enough, there are times when we get to look at Satan's, Satan's bait out there and go, I see that hook in that, in that bait. I'm not interested at all. Unfortunately, we still go after some of the other baits that he puts out there. And probably will for the rest of our life, we will continue to make those mistakes and go after the baited hook and, and, and be... And be <laughs> He's got a whole bunch. He's got a whole bunch of different baits to put out there in front of us. Let's go ahead and close. Lord, we just thank you for the day. We thank you for how much you love us. Lord, we thank you that you will deliver in your time, that you will move forward in your time, and that you will be victorious in all things. And we just thank you in your son's precious name. Amen.